0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Pan's Markets. Where this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they're celebrating Pie Day. And one of my favorite pies ever. In fact, I recommended Blue Raven pies to Eleanor at Zupan's a few years ago. So this weekend, they have... Sp- deals on Blue Raven five-inch pies, and uh, they also have deals on Zupan's pizza dough and more. So anything pie that you can think of, go to the Zupan's news feed and see what's being featured there.
1: In my heart of hearts, Chris, I I feel like every day should be Pie Day, but obviously it being uh, March 14th this weekend, you've got to celebrate Pie Day. You also should plan on celebrating, I don't know, St. Patrick's Day is around the corner Uh, from the Zupan's Deli. They've got a corned beef and cabbage entree. That you can pick up there. So, if you don't feel like making your own corned beef and, and cabbage, uh, why not let Zupan's Markets do that for you?
0: And of course, always at Zupan's, they have the freshest seafood, their seafood department and their meat department. You can't beat it in uh, Portland for sure. And, uh, and of course, Lake Oswego. Um, you can save $5 a pound on Creative King Salmon now through March 23rd. It looks really delicious there on the plank that they have featured on their website. And as you have often mentioned, Court, um, if you go to, if you get the newsfeed and you go to the website, you can more than likely find a great recipe for that salmon as well.
1: They make it so easy, yeah. So if you're maybe intimidated by something you're seeing, uh, Zupan's has all the resources and tells you how to whip something together, and then you, can, of course, can take all the credit. Uh, don't miss out on uh, one last meat subject here, uh, Chris. I, I feel this is important. Boneless pork chops. If you haven't had the boneless pork chops from Carlton Farms from your local Zupan's. Uh, you need to do it. Only four ninety nine a pound. You're saving two bucks, and that's on sale now. Three locations, as Chris mentioned. You've got uh, West Burnside, McAdam, and then in Lake Oswego. And always, where can you get this information, Chris? From wherever you want at zoopans.com. All right, it's time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. Is that where I'm from? Well, uh, you're, you're from a lot of places, but uh, many people might know you from Portland Food oh. Adventures or maybe right at the fork or maybe you're just the, the, the fellow down the street. I don't know.
0: I Well, I'm hoping that at some point in the near future people know me from Portland Food Adventures, but it's getting to be a while since I've, you know, I've worn that hat or that badge uh, in actual person. So I'm looking forward to, uh, we may as well mention it. Um, We sold out a trip on the Snake River with the folks from Canyon Outfitters with Jonathan Gill, the chef from Ringside on July 4th. So there's one that's domestic and close by that doesn't require a plane to get through to and so because that sold out so quickly we we got another trip together which I think is going to be fantastic with Leif Gildersleeve of Flying Fish Company whom we've had on the podcast a number of times because he's a great guest and he's a fun person so why not get together with him and eat some of his fish from Flying Fish Company Um, on the river in August with us. Uh, Four-day trip. It's going to be fantastic. A lot of fun. Uh, It's glamping with the folks from Canyon Outfitters. And so there you go. There's what I've got with Portland Food Adventures, other than some trips to Spain and Italy um, that uh, we hope some people re-sign up for at some point um, in late this year and for sure 2022.
1: Very so, nice. I think I think your explanation of the glamping uh probably might change, you know, people are like, "Oh, okay, wait a minute. Glamping is better for some people than regular camping."
0: Oh, way better. These the, everything's going to be all every day there's going to be a really nice Tent set up, very comfortable uh, that no one has to deal with. It's beyond glamping because no one has to put up a tent. No one has to put up a sleeping, you know, even unroll a sleeping bag. Well, maybe that needs to be done. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That part's easy.
0: Yeah, that part's easy. But but best of all, we'll be able to fish with leaf and um, also raft down this beautiful river. If you've never seen the Snake River, uh, which is also referred to as Hell's Canyon um that is one of the gems of oregon it's one of the one of the i can't say it's the last things i discovered but i had discovered a lot to be discovered on this side of the state and then went over there which of course the snake river forms the border between idaho and oregon and it is just beautiful and we'll be in the heart of the summer eating great food and we're going to be with some great people too. nice so that will be fun and of course court it's International Women's Month, and we've gone so far as to take our listeners to France, to the Gascony region. I think maybe it might be, it, I think it's the furthest we've ever gone in terms of guests, all the way to nearby Agen, France, uh, to interview, to talk to Kate Hill at her Kitchen at Camant. Um Really? You know what? It's hard for me to say this, but this might be my favorite episode in a long time that that we've recorded because Kate is really, really uh, versed on cooking and just life. I mean, she'll tell the story of being in San Francisco and having a dream with her uh, partner at the time to get over to France and buy a barge and, and and buzz around Europe with actually it wasn't necessarily France in the beginning in a barge and she did that was thirty over 30 years ago and now she's running um, she has this beautiful spot where she's been giving cooking classes for years and beyond that as a tour guide in gascony france this was uh, brought to my attention by a gentleman by the name of vitali paley uh, a few years ago and i was able to go visit kate in her beautiful farm and she had us she suggested this um, castle mazoyer i don't even know if i'm pronouncing it properly it
1: yeah, sounds I, good
0: I know, but I'm wincing at the fact that she would be listening to this <laughs> and knowing there, and knowing that it might not be, I might not be pronouncing it. And the fact that I took French for a few years back in grade school.
1: Right. Well, I sp- so, I speak French. And here's the thing is because I can't see the actual words. If, if I could actually see them spelled out, I would, I would critique you or not. But since I can't, it sounds good. To me.
0: (laughs) Well, nonetheless, it was a beautiful castle not far from her kitchen at Camant, and she hosted my son and me for a beautiful dinner at her place and then drove us around to get a feel for the markets and uh, the beautiful land there where there were some incredible cows and um, just it it was really special. I, I can't talk enough about it. And it was just a few days. But she was a beautiful, beautiful host and telling us everything that went on there and we enjoyed some great food as well. So I thought, having seen what she's doing now, which is after years of hosting people over in the Gascony region of France and Uh, and turning them on to the best of that region now of course because of the pandemic she's been by herself in her home where she's usually had a lot of visitors and interns helping her with what she does and she has um i'm not using that word right it's a basketball word when you're on one foot and you turn around i'm not going to use it (laughs) Thank, Uh, thank you Yeah, everybody knows what it is. But she has um, developed uh, her business with a subscription service, um, a Gascony year, where you buy the opportunity to be part of her interactive food classes. Um, And also, uh, you can see some videos that she's done. She's releasing a movie, I believe, soon. Um, That will be something that's a part of it, as well as the opportunity to get her newsletter and interact with her. So if you have questions about technique and so forth, or why she does what she does, that's beyond just watching a video, which she also has as well. So um, at any rate, Kate uh, and I arranged for uh, a meeting this morning, 6 p.m., her time, or as the Europeans would call it, 18. So we got together again this morning for uh, a nice chat, which uh, I think everyone's going to enjoy uh, extensively listening to Kate's living life the way she wanted to live life and helping others to live life through um, incredible food and cooking, which I think right now, Court, you've probably been cooking more than you have ever. Oh yeah. Yep. So these are things that we're going to want to we're going to want to do, and it's a nice escape, and uh, I think it's fantastic. As I pointed out in the episode, for the cost of one meal out, which we haven't been doing, by the way. So maybe people have been accumulating. Um, those resources over time Um, you can do this for you know monthly for a year Uh, visit with Kate and take part in her subscription service which I think sounds fantastic and we're going to be there a little bit uh, as well so um, this is Kate Hill you can find her if you google Kate Hill Camont c-a-m-o-n-t or Kate Hill Gascony, it'll take you to her uh, website to see what's going on and all that she, all the wonderful things, um, and also uh, she's at uh, Kitchen duh, de de on Instagram. There's a lot there as well too. So, uh, but right now she's here on Right at the Fork.
2: Right at the Fork is supported by. Zupans Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupans Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupans.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish. A partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the Old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever. Book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host, Chris Angelus. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Cantares of Erdineta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austria Enzyme. Wet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host, Chris Angelus for more details.
0: It is such a pleasure. I was revisiting your you through your Instagram this morning and looking at your website and you know, it's a little. It was a little bit like a dream when I came to visit you uh, five years ago, mm-hmm. because I still have images. I have some images up on my wall of the castle and some of the surroundings in your beautiful region. And um, yeah, it's we never got to do the follow-up trip, which was the plan. But I got to enjoy your company and your host. You know, hosting us to show us around your beautiful region. Um, it, it's incredible. So I do hope to get back someday and I hope we can bring some other people back to enjoy your beautiful, to enjoy Gascony. And so here we are in the middle of the pandemic, hopefully at the tail end somewhere, and you have found ways to pivot your business
3: and your life. I've had to, yes, yeah. It's It's been interesting because, you know, about two years ago or certainly two winters ago, I had this idea that I wanted I've had for a long time an idea of how to reach out further. I love to travel, get on a plane. I've been to Australia and Japan and various places, Dubai, so that I could I could teach and I would in, in the States, obviously from Europe here. But I like this idea of on the idea that we could reach out online. But I was very unsure to how to begin. And I started looking into lots of different teaching platforms. This was, like I said, two years ago. And then I kind of put it on the back burner because a lot of other things were going on here in person that I dealt with. And and that was well before the, this pandemic hit. So when I realized this year that not only did I have to um, my clients couldn't come. It wasn't that I canceled the classes, but right? my clients couldn't come, that we had to put things on hold that I wanted to quickly get on, um, back on track with the online teaching. And so I'd already done the research, which was great. Some of my good colleagues and friends, uh, my friend Judy in Italy, she was already doing classes on using Patreon. And so I, you know, she, ta- she taught me a few things. We've all shared, how, you know, like Zoom information, how do you do this? And uh, besides everybody doing webinars to how to use a webinar, we were all talking to each other. So in um, November, I started with the first live classes of doing my Castellet classes, Camp Castellet. And uh, and in the meantime, started a series of video classes that would go with my the newest edition of my, my first book, A Culinary Journey. In Gascony, so so it was sort of like you know throwing everything in the pot and seeing what was going to work. And now it's, it's settling out, and I'm feeling comfortable. the The big problem or the the part nobody sees is I actually am here alone. We're we're quite under lockdown still. We have a six p.m. curfew, so it's six o'clock now. So no going out to go grab something in the store you've forgotten, or go get a pizza. It's too late. You've got to be in your house, and and so. I'm doing all this on my own, which is one of the big surprises that I
0: haven't fallen over yet.
3: <laughs> so do
0: curve. You don't have your usual interns there helping no. you with cameras and, no. and other things? Wow. No, okay. I assumed you did. No, no,
3: because um, there was no, I mean, nobody could travel. Nobody can come to France. Um, from outside of France, or outside the, at this point, outside the EU, there was a moment when even within the European Union, our borders were closed between Spain and Germany and Italy, et cetera. Um, but now, I mean, I've had nobody here, in part my own safe health reasons. I want to, um, but now I'm in the upper reaches of that. That. Uh, danger zone. I'm starting to get there. So I've, I wanted to kind of keep quiet here anyway. But uh, yeah, no, no, nobody coming and going and nobody to cook for, which is the worst problem. Because I like this, this week, I made a beautiful foie gras, de foie gras, and I actually had to make two because for the class, I did one ahead so we could see it finished. And then I did another one during the live class. This is a, a live zoom class that I do for my membership. And, um, and now I have these two beautiful trees of foie gras, which I will share with some friends. I'll do a drop off and I'm going to go shopping this week. I'll s- drop some foie gras for some friends. But it's hard as a cook to cook for nobody, to be your, just, you know, I do cook for myself, but it gets per- pretty boring.
0: Right, and then there's the, the my complaint, probably not yours, but the constant cleanup for oneself for cooking. Oh for no, one. I absolutely. I'm used to having somebody around to help clean up too. <laughs> yeah. and, and
3: anybody, so yeah, definitely that's what I miss as much as anything else. Yeah, I would. So imagine. There's always a little stash of dishes in the dishwasher, a pile in the sink, and there's nobody here to see it, so I'm not so worried about it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I myself don't like seeing it, so I can only live with it for so long in the sink or all over <laughs> yeah. the place. I do, but um, but there's that. So you've been pretty much alone for a year then. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And you, you haven't have have you had anybody over for a little while who may have done the proper things in quarantining themselves? Or? No, no, no. There's been
3: no. Mm-mm. Even my yeah. local friends who live here. We're very cautious about getting together we We might you know actually had some we're allowed to have up to six people for gathering but we're also discouraged from mixing households right. so in an attempt to try to keep this thing tamped down, um all of us are very aware of that we're all you know we have some experience in what in life, and so we said you know, it's not worth it. And so we did get together to have a bit of lunch, eat some oysters and have uh, some enchiladas on Sunday. And we sat outside, so that was nice because we have that little window of early spring that's warm enough in the 60s and some sunshine, so it's quite nice. And um, But but even seeing like my normal social life was really going to the market as I did today. And I went to the Labrador market and I bought from people I buy from all year long so even when you say hello how are you doing today it's just nice to have that response Mm -hmm. and then I saw some friends at the market that I don't visit now we don't get together so it was nice to see them as that excuse.
0: So, it's not complete isolation anyway. It feels like it after a while. It's very but. much
3: self isolation because I know for me, it was a matter of saying, what's the risk and what's the, you know, can I, can't I amuse myself for a while? I said, yeah, I can. And I don't mind being on my own. I actually like my company, but as it's, I'm so used to having people in and out of the house. I've always called the Gardener you know, people come and go on their way from various places. And there's always somebody popping in and staying for a while and having interns or having students. So um,
0: it's, that part's been more quiet. Well, that will help you appreciate it that much more when, when you can start it back up again. Well, Uh, I don't know, you know, one of the things that's happening is like, well, there's
3: other, there's the big investment in creating an online program in the learning curve and setting things up and, and you know marketing it and doing that is like, well, do you go back to the way things were not not necessarily, I think there will be a shift. I think that the people there will be people that travel, but not in the groups like we had. I think that will be more not for a couple of years. I really think, quite honestly, you're not looking till till the next year twenty twenty two before there's any kind of ease of movement, and for me. I feel that I have a, I have a focus, and I'm really working on publishing. Um, my every month we're putting together a little sort of magazine format book uh, for this gaskin year, and that's um, recipes and and essays and stories that I've written over the last twenty years or so, and that is taking up a good a chunk of energy as well as the classes. So, will I stop and then have? in-person classes, uh, there, it, there will be a change. I don't know how it will work, but yeah, there will be a, some kind of change.
0: Right, well, I was going to ask about that, and I think the decision you'll have to make is, do you want to go back to doing in-person classes now that you have this infrastructure in place? Um, but I re- see. here's the thing, it would be such a shame if people can't visit Kamant oh, and be <laughs> <What> in person <laughs> with you because that was literally one of the nicest what was it, three or four days, two or three, four? I don't remember. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, So days, days that days. we spent together. And so that is priceless. And so not to be able to do that is. It, it is. It's very special. And for me, too, because I get a lot of
3: pleasure out of seeking out the special places. You know, I've made these um, contacts and friendships over the years um, that that people with people that live here that allows me to do the kinds of things I do with my groups um, that are not, you know, boilerplate kind of tours. Uh, I certainly miss going to Spain, the Basque Country and Catalonia, which are always part of my year. I realized I was looking at my photographs from 2018, and I think I went to Spain every month, one place or the other, one side or the other. Um, During that year, I just did a lot of, of traveling. So I miss that kind of traveling myself. But I do think what's really nice on the other side, and I hope um, that people think about this when they're looking at their, you know, the people that they like to do things with, um, is that we've got to keep going. We can't just sort of stop for three years or two years and then pick up and go. You know, there has to be, you know financial momentum that keeps you going, and one of the nice things is like I can take a tour and take people around my garden, and people all over the world can enjoy it and see it and it's not limited to a handful of people and in that regards, it's a different kind of reaching out and it does stretch my creative talents on how to do that using the devices that we have the You know, whether it's Instagram Live or, um, you know, YouTube, I haven't really posted. I'm not been doing YouTube things so much, but um, it's it's an interesting creative challenge. And so I'm looking at partnering with a couple people to do some more filming, which as soon as we sort of feel open enough to do that, we'll start. And that will will reach a whole nother audience who could never get on a plane and come here, regardless of the pandemic. You know, a lot of people would never be able for whatever reasons to come to France. And so it's like it's sort of a shame that they can't also enjoy it. So I'm kind of playing between the two sides and seeing where, uh, you know, how much one thing I'll do and how much of the other. And then you have to remember there's something called free time, too. So uh, I'm looking forward for a little uh, quiet time in here, even though it seems to be
0: quiet. It's not really been very quiet for me so have you had much free quiet time um no. to find you know watch movies or do anything that you might have not
3: well i have to say like most people i've watched an awful lot of netflix and movies
0: um in the evenings because of the
3: <clears throat> i tend i'm not a big going out person anyway you know going out into town it's only as you remember it's only 15 minutes to go into Ajen but mm-hmm. uh, on my own i'm not so likely to do that so i like to kind of cuddle up with my little dog and or my big dog and my get on the couch and watch a movie. And so I've been doing a lot of that in the evenings. Um, but the free time that I always sort of had in the winter which would have been the quiet time for, for travel. So people didn't often come in January, December, you know, March now, um, they would wait till the nicer months. I always had that. Well, now I'm, I'm teaching classes every week. So I don't have any real free time. I try to make those little moments where like this morning I went to the market. Of course I do that come hell or high water. And that's as much to lift my spirits as it is to get content for my classes. I did that. And then I came home and I planted some peas in one one of the pots that I had started. And I do a little gardening. So I get my little during the day. It's having a, loose schedule which is nice that i'm not out of time frame
0: well um i think when you get back to i would love to see a little tour like the one you gave us all over your region stopping at a, a restaurant here and there and just watching the the cow ca- the cattle in the in the fields and it was beautiful so um I appreciated that, and so, but I do agree with you to open it up to more people. And you know, I'm sure from a, the standpoint of appreciation, you you're you're a wise person, and you realize there could be worse places to be in the world. <laughs> oh, <you> definitely <laughs> by yourself. As a matter of fact, I do think that um, your backdrop is probably the mi- nicest backdrop I've seen uh, via Zoom. Uh,
3: Yeah, well, it's funny. I wanted to sit by this window, while we still have the light. And this is my little sitting room, um, which used to be the piggery in the farm. Mm -hmm. So there was the barn on the side and the pigeonnier on the side. And between those two buildings, which were built standalone, they connected and made a little uh, uh, chicken coop and a piggery. And so this, when I restored the barn, this got turned into this little sitting room, which I really really love because I, and now it's sort of a dining room sitting room and um I'm still kind of moving things around you know I'm somebody who moves not just furniture I move whole rooms in my setup here but I uh I yeah I love I love my home I love this little piece of land it's The birds are amazing right now, just spring starting. so birds are singing like crazy in the morning, I hear it. it I noticed that
0: this morning too out here,
3: same thing. Yeah, it's so great when you've got some space around you and I'm grateful, very grateful for that.
0: Well, you have, if I, I I, I don't think I can describe it as well as it looks, but this beautiful um, chateau, what would you call your structure where you live? Is it a chateau? Is it a... Um, a house but you've got this beautiful garden and and there are chickens outside and then you walk down a path and there's a canal with your old um, beautiful barge that that needs a little update at some point you'll do something with that I don't know if you have you talked about it when we were there Um, yeah it's for sale,
3: it's for sale. So anybody who's interested. Yeah,
0: it was Um, yeah. No, the
3: space is, because this was a farm on the sort of the floodplain of the Grown Valley, the Grown River Valley, the Grown itself is just, oh, maybe, I don't know, uh, 500, 600 meters away, football field plus away from me here. And so it would flood in the day and that made this land very, very rich. In fact, a friend always said you could plant a stone here at Camont and it would grow, <laughs> and so I—I I, that's what I do. I just stick stuff in the ground and it grows. It's great if it doesn't, you know. I don't worry. About it, I stick something else in. And it, this was a farmhouse and the barn and um, farmer's house was next door. There was a little, like a <clears throat> probably in the 1700s when this was built. There was a little hamlet of three families that lived together. So I have this one part and. Uh, have a neighbor now who restored the other building that I um, I felt I didn't need anymore, but I uh, I still have sort of all of the the beauties of agricultural land around me, but also the the sort of the charm of a of a seventeenth eighteenth uh, century
0: house. Right, with a lot of trees, so it's nice and shaded too. Lots the- of trees, so it's beautiful. So, listen, would you take us through? Because I would imagine there aren't a lot of people who listen to our podcast who uh, know about you. And I'm certainly happy to introduce everybody to you and you to everybody. Um, take us through a little bit of how your, uh, your love of cooking, how you developed it and, and how you ended up in France and then you ended up at Kamath. Right, right. Well, um, I always uh,
3: say, depending on how many bottles of wine you have, how long the story would be. But I was um, in my 30s, -30s, mid-30s, working in San Francisco, running an art gallery. And it was part of a plan with my um, companion, my boyfriend at the time, that we were going to buy a barge in France, in Europe, and travel all over Europe. And we had come up with this idea while we were traveling in Africa. I mean, I did a lot of traveling in my early 30s, my late 20s and early 30s. And so it was just an extension of that to have a Home base, a boat, this big boat, 80, uh, what we did end wow. up buying, an 85-foot boat that was sort of like having an escargot, a snail with all, everything on your back. You could just, just have a backpack. You had a whole house, a three-bedroom house. And so we traveled from Holland, where we bought the boat, and slowly came down through France and kept going looking for better weather, better weather, until we got to the very south of France and the Canal du Midi. Um, near the Mediterranean and then eventually worked um, our way over here and along that way as a a cook a, I, I was not a professional cook ever. I cooked from the time I could stand at the stove because my family was just like that and my mother's family was Italian so I grew up with that kind of ethos of cooking and um, but I did, I, I was in arts and theater, fine arts uh, all my life. And then, but I always could cook. And so when I traveled, I would cook as, as, a, as a yacht chef or for a group of travelers or in a villa in Italy. There was always a way that you could make a living and you never starve if you can cook. So the idea of having this barge was we would take people on the barge and travel throughout France and the canals, and I would cook for them, a small group, four people. And we would take them around, the captain and I, I I was the captain, he was the maitre d. I was the cook, he was the captain. We kind of shared these things until, um, you know, it became a, a real business. And at that point, I realized that I was cooking professionally. I've been doing it now for quite a while. But when I came into France, I realized all my preconceived notions of French food went out the window because I was used to, and this is what I always have to remind my students you know, we're used to this once removed idea of what French food is like. And real French food in France is so regional, it changes like every 25 miles from the north all the way to the south, east to west, everything changes. And so what you cook and eat here is come very different from what people cook and eat in Burgundy or in the Alsace-Lorraine area or in Brittany. And so that was an eye-opener. And I found a kind of a new, renewed interest in cooking, not just what I already knew, but it became what would become sort of a lifelong curiosity, of why things are different in each place. And of course, that led me down the road to what we now are all very familiar with, which is buy local, shop local, cook local. And every local producer is has something special, and it is the way it is because it's here in this area. And so that was what sort of my path as a, as a cook be, was, literally just coming into France and discovering region by region as I traveled through it. As a teacher, as a guide, as a tour guide, if you will, or a hostess or hospitality, and then later teaching classes, I realized that all my students were mostly American or Australian or Canadian, mostly Anglophones, are like me. And we have a very, we don't see what the French grow up with. We don't have those experiences. Unless maybe you've grown up on a farm, you've been lucky enough to grow up on a farm somewhere. So I I found myself teaching people what I had learned. And that journey, which has now been over 30 years of arriving here and learning the most basic, like what seasonality. And in my new book for this month, I wrote today the introduction, which said, You know, did you even know that things like meat was seasonal? Goat's cheese is seasonal, Um, not just fruit and vegetables, but uh, things that were like eggs are all over the place right now because it's spring and because the chickens are laying like crazy. The goat's cheese is now back in the market because the goats have just finished kidding. And so they can milk and make cheese again, which we haven't had fresh goat's cheese for the last three or four months. So I had to learn all that and I felt I wanted to, pass that on and teach that to my, to my students, not just when they came here uh, as a learning vacation, but also um, for professionals to understand that you can do all the fancy tricks in the kitchen you want, but unless your products taste great and are within the scope of seasonality, you're just adding stuff to mask flavor because there's no flavor.
0: Have you seen uh, a lot more awareness of that in the last five, 10 years? Because I, oh, yeah. you know, for me, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast uh, now 16 years ago. I can't believe it. But there was no awareness. I mean, very little awareness of of local when I was there, and then when I came out here, especially in Portland, I mean, in the Willamette Valley, we have so much access, but right. uh, I don't know if personally if it was a function of geography or time, but I really think we see it when we're on television now, right, so that's oh, a lot yeah. of exposure. It's, it's definitely been, been the um,
3: top note of most conversations about food, cultural, Also, cultural food is uh, kind of taking, holding that place as well. Um, But I think that the access to food in Portland, well, my experience as a very young person, my 20s, was I moved from Hawaii, where I was born, to the Northwest, to Seattle. Seattle, Portland, we bounced back and forth. And that was the first time I had experienced seasonal food because in Hawaii, there was no such thing. We had pineapples year-round, right? But the idea that you, there were lots of small farmers in that Willamette Valley, there were lots up in Washington, the Skagit Valley. So you had access, close access to these, these producers. And that's what makes it here so special because France is a big farm. I mean, the the industry in France is very, very, limited to certain pockets of, of urban development, but the rest of France are either vineyards or farms. And so you don't go very far without seeing that right now the peach trees are blossom and they're pink and the plum trees will be next and they'll be white. And there there's you, you just, you go to the grocery store or you go get your gas as I did this morning. And I was able to see where the, Pear trees are getting ready to bud now. Um, so I you can't get away from the seasonality of it. People who live in cities obviously have very different experiences. And so we have to share that with them, which is one of the nice things about podcasts, videos, films, TV series, YouTubes.
0: Yeah. And that's, that. that has been, yeah, that's just the past few years. TV, I think came first, but now, Certainly more podcasts, more TV series. I've been enjoying throughout this whole pandemic going into the kitchens of some of my favorite chefs, not only in Portland, but in Spain and elsewhere, uh, California, just to see some simpler things that they're making. Because as soon as something gets too complicated for me, I'm I'm tuning out. uh, Yeah,
3: I think that's true. You know, I think it used to be, People who loved food and um, it enhanced their life as a, a special thing like like you open up a spe- that special bottle of wine so you on a weekend you would spend all day cooking and make some fabulous dinner, your friends would come around and you'd have a great meal. Now you have to cook for yourself every day and you don't cook like that so right. I find too for me the big thing all is not the complexity of the cooking because I actually cook quite simply it, but it is the fact that I'm really only cooking, you know, for myself or I'm cooking for a couple meals. I'm obviously going to eat leftovers. So I'm scaling down all my recipes that I normally would say are dinner party recipes. They cook for, you know, eight people or or easily 10 or 12, you know, I'm coming down to four and saying, you don't have to cook the whole chicken. You can cook half of it now. And mm-hmm. half of it later, because even for one person to cook, eat your way through a whole chicken is a lot. So I here I can buy half a chicken at the market. I can buy a piece of something so that I'm not you know loading down. But my tendency is still to go and buy, you know, huge amounts of food to feed the army that aren't going to show up right now.
0: Well, they are, well, again, perhaps they, they will in certain forms uh, moving forward. I have the, uh, I will never forget the chicken, the dinner that you had when Austin and I were at your place in that beautiful dining room with your friends. And uh, some of them from Portland, as a matter of fact, I believe you had some interns from, from Portland. Yeah, I um, think there was, yeah. I think there were.
1: Pausing a moment here, Chris, talk about one of our favorite places to eat in Portland, Ringside Steakhouse.
0: Uh, And now we can eat there, yep, as opposed to just having takeout and kits, which, sorry to use the word just, but short of the great service experience at Ringside, we're so pleased to hear that they're now open for dine-in service. Uh, Court, you'll talk about how to make a reservation in a minute, but uh, also they're still doing takeout. Uh, as well so you can order takeout uh, up until 9 p.m wednesday to sunday and uh, of course make a reservation to dine in at ringside between 5 and 10 wednesday to thursday and 4 p.m to 10 p.m on weekends that would be friday to sunday
1: definitely something you need to uh, make part of your routine now that uh, routines are returning to normal Uh, you can set up the reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com or uh, one thing I like to do is I open up my open table app and uh, can do it that way as well. Both work great. I recommend either.
0: I'm curious uh, and perhaps we talked about it, but you mentioned your uh, spending time in Seattle and Portland. You know, we, we met through uh, chef Vitali Paley and uh, he, int- he said, you've got to meet Kate and, of course, he's well known for being one of the first professionals to recognize and do something about relationships with farmers in, in this beautiful Absolutely. area. So how did you two meet? How did you two come upon each other? I, I met um, Vitaly through Robert Reynolds, who
3: was uh, a chef who was teaching at established a small cooking school in Portland. I had met Robert previously in San Francisco when, um, before I moved to Europe, uh, no, I should say I, oh, I'm, I knew of him from San Francisco when I lived there. We had mutual friends, but I didn't actually meet him until I met him here in France. And Robert had a restaurant in San Francisco called La True. And um, then he became, because he was a, a, a wonderful teacher, he taught there, he later moved to Portland and, he of course and and Vitali were like you know kindred spirits and and Robert had a wonderful way of putting a voice to what people who were already I mean something like uh, Vitali was already digging into the community and seeking out these and Robert these connections and Robert had this European sensibility that he had developed from his time here in France as well and so. He was able to give voice i think to that and there are a lot of chefs in portland who uh were touched by robert's experiences and so that's how we met and then, and i came w- with um my good friend dominique chapelard who the butcher with a wonderful mustache to do some workshops and Vitaly came and saw what dominique was doing in working the way he does his butchery so elegantly and beautifully and simply And he wanted us to come into his kitchens and he showed us the charcuterie that they were making up in the attic somewhere at the time. And so we were right at the beginning of this big charcuterie movement that we played into as a part of that. So it was, I have very, very good, uh, lots of students that came through Portland through the Good Meat Project, what's called the Good Meat Project now, but it was Portland Meat Collective, Camus Davis. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
3: a lot of students have come from Portland in in that area. Um, primarily the charcuterie um, imp- they were looking for that butchering charcuterie so it's like I have strong ties with the whole Pacific Northwest because of that and uh, um, I look forward to coming back and I, this, I think I miss not not going on vacation but doing the workshops and meeting people on their home ground because it is uh, it again it's a very efficient way for me to travel I can travel and meet hundreds of people on one trip but it takes a lot of people, it, you know, I could only have a small group of people here at a time.
0: All right, well, um, yeah, I'm sure, I, I remember you were here last time, you were so busy, you know, so many people, we didn't get a chance to uh, yeah. meet up again, so. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was pretty crazy.
0: <laughs> well, I would, imagine, I, I would imagine.
3: But I think that these times, Chris, where people are, you know, they're kind of hungry, craving for travel experiences that um, I, you know, I'm not encouraging every, anybody to jump on a plane this next week, or, but I, I think if you even could, but I think what you can do is sort of pull on those collective memories and the, the almost the nostalgia that we create for something that we want, not something we had maybe, but something we want in the way that you can look at a in, you know, a beautiful French impressionist painting, like a, painting by Monet or Renoir. And you can want to be in that scene of a picnic on the, you know, with the uh, wonderful spread of people and gowns laying on the grass. And, and that was, had its own nostalgia for that time if you think it was in the beginning of the industrial revolution. So I'm kind of looking at this and saying, we can't travel right now, but we can travel in a lot of other different ways. Yeah, and one way, of course, is to come into my kitchen every week as I'm doing classes. So um, that's one good way. And there's so many people out there who are teaching now online. Who are, um, you know, you could do a trip all over France or all over Europe with different people and popping in and seeing what they're doing.
0: Uh, I I I wonder if you have links to that sort of thing, or, but while we're talking about it, let's talk. about exactly what you're doing, how people can uh, enjoy the uh, Club command On membership, um, what it entails. This podcast is generally not about promotion, but in this case, I think as a way for people to get out of there to travel and be able yeah. to do what they love. People who listen to this podcast love food. So I was looking um, at what you're doing in the past couple of days, and uh, it's it's, there's a lot to what you're offering is a membership. So why don't you talk? Yeah, I
3: decided, about- I decided what I wanted to do um, uh, was to get to know if I'm going to work online, I can't, I don't have anybody with me in the kitchen. I, but you know, we can do live things obviously on zoom, like everybody's pretty familiar with that now. Um, but I wanted to have a way to understand who my, Clients were, or who might, you know, what people were looking for themselves. And so, in addition to doing what I wanted to do, which would be to do some put up some videos cooking, like you might see on YouTube, um, but I also wanted to have this this idea where we would gather together to and the membership model fit that very well. So, um, it, it's a way of plugging into what I call the Gascon year, which starts anytime you start because. You know the gasping year starts right now. It's spring or almost spring, and um, uh, you know it'll run through till next spring and, and so I thought this membership has allowed me to see what people are doing. Whether it's somebody who is a, a GP in in rural Ph- in Pennsylvania who raises hogs on the side and does his own bacon and stuff, and or somebody who is a com- computer. Um, AI person who does loves cooking, and so they do this, you know, to re- free their mind. So I'm getting to know them through this membership, and then um, we're kind of ta- tailoring some experiences for that. That is one way to sort of act interact with me. It kind of creates commitment on both sides. Then, and the other is to do. I'm sorry, I'm just gonna my little puppies just come in for her. Oh, I far. think
0: it makes it way more charming. To <laughs> so say she. Puppy is- Who's that? Who's yeah. That? <laughs> so so she, and then that, she's part of your life, does. and she whole, is. She's the, the one world. I talk to the most. So yes. And and
3: so the other part for me was to create a, a resource, a center of resources, so people could come onto my site and go to the what is now the online cooking school, Kate Hill Cooks, and they could come into that and see what classes I was offering, what I'd already done that they could just download, like a video or what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a series of lunch classes coming up soon, just short 30-minute live lunch classes when somebody's sitting at lunchtime, your time, evening time, my time. And so they can just see and pick and choose kind of a la carte what they want to do. So they sort of like le menu or a la carte. And all that information is on my website. So if people just Google Kate Hill, Gascony or Kate Hill, come up, you will go right to my website, and then the, all the information
0: is there. And your uh, your Instagram is uh, Kate K- K- de Camont. Kate K- K- It's a little it's a little D,
3: you know. When you say somebody is de Rothschild or de Camont, it means they were noble. So yeah, Kate de come on and that's probably the best place to see what I'm doing because I do use it as my sort of daily meditation. Both for myself, you know, sometimes you're a little blue, or you're on, on, you know, in this time where it's been so sort of sad to be alone. But when I walk around the garden and I take a few photographs and I post that, and somebody says, "Well, what plant is that? That's so beautiful." You create a conversation, and now you have a relationship with somebody. So I have I have a relationship with almost fifteen thousand people on Instagram, and it's been a wonderful. Uh, I, I I'm very visual, and I love photography so it's been a a good match for me on social media
0: was that something you were um, pursuing if you love photography you always have so when I met you five years ago I would imagine if I'd said what's your Instagram handle you and I both would have probably said oh well maybe someday I'll get to that I don't know were you were you it was an
3: early I jumped on pretty early I think um I, I, I can't, I don't know exactly where, I know that I started my blog on a website. I started you know, around 2005. Okay. So, so I've been sort of an early adopter. And then when Instagram came, oh, I was using Facebook. When Instagram came along, it was like, oh, one more thing. But I realized right away that with the advent of a, you know, the handheld camera, meaning your telephone, And I, you know, and until then, I hadn't really done much with that. That was just a perfect marriage for me. So I could have my phone with me. And like when I went to the market this morning, I did a couple little videos. um, I photographed the foods I was buying while I'm waiting in line to buy my endive and my rocket and other things. I just snap off some photographs and I put those up on stories on Instagram so people can take a look to see what's in the market today. And you gotta see the weather and what people are dressed like and everybody's wearing masks. And so you get a real timely sense about that.
0: Right, and it's a, it's a great way to bring everything to life. And if you like photography, your yeah. heart is always singing with, oh, this would be great for everybody to see. Yeah,
3: like, I think too, when I look back, like we were looking for the, one of the books today, we were looking for a particular photograph and I said, let me scroll through Instagram. I know I took a picture of that. I mean, I can, I keep those photographs in my head. So mm-hmm. I know there's a picture of that celery root gratin somewhere. And I'm spinning back through, tw- you know, 2018 on my Instagram feed looking for it. And I realized like, wow, I cooked so much wonderful food that year. It was a very busy year. Um, I went to Spain a lot. I had a lot of people here. And I just seen that those photographs roll through, scrolling through them was for me, a lot of fun. They were like instant memories. So I don't do it just for reaching people. I do it for myself as well.
0: No, it's a great index tool. I I do it all the time, the geography. I, this morning, plugged in Agen. And there yeah. there you were and there I was and- Yeah, um, it's great. It's, it's easy to find. I'll tell you what else I do that I've mentioned on this, on the podcast a few times, but I can't mention enough because it's been fantastic. I have Google Chromecast and I'm a very Google oriented person. So I, from my Google photos, I have for years, everywhere I've traveled all, you know, I live out in Manzanita on the coast with my dog. So there are all those photos there are a lot of food photos. So what I do is choose folders and, have those pop up. I don't really don't watch much television anymore. I have my music on in my house. I might be fiddling with my phone and on my big screen TV are all these images from where I've been, who I've enjoyed places with. And I think over the past few years, you've seen me pop you a couple of texts with you on my screen. There's your house and there's you. And it is one of the best antidepressants. And through this pandemic, it has been a wonderful way to be outside my walls and, and yes, appreciate yeah. the life that we had that we really took for granted, correct? I mean, what if yeah. this kind of came back?
3: And actually, Chris, if you think about what you just said is great because you do you see outside yourself. That's your own vision to look outside where you're sitting right now where you've been or where you might go back to. But think, cause think of all the people who travel and they never go outside their own head. They, you know, they're looking for something that's just like what they have at home, or they, you know, they want a hotel room that's just like every Holiday and everywhere around the world. You know, not, they don't look, they're not looking out. You can actually look out from being in your own home sometimes even better because you can seek out those experiences that where you had those light bulb moments you when you realize how important some person was or some, you know, it does come down to people. That's what we're all missing. It's not just places, but some experience that happened in a certain place, those memories are really important. So, and I know a lot of people have those memories about France. Well, Um, I like to think
0: life is is rich at home, but life is really, really, we have this beautiful world out there. And if you can recall, just experience again where you've been and have that bring back to, I mean, that's what travel is about is memories. And so these visuals make that memory even more vivid. And as a matter of fact, if I was just sitting without this, right? How many times would I think of being at your place and Basque Country and Barcelona and Australia, but within the span of an hour, I've been all of those places and it's triggered me to think of those things and really appreciate, especially during this time when we can't go anywhere, appreciate where we've been and that we will be able to do it again Again, I don't take that for granted that we will. <laughs> I, I, I hope we will. I have a business I'm that relies sure on that. Will. Yeah, no, no, no. I understand <laughs> but that. I but I do, even
3: in the height of when it
0: so, was so easy, you
3: know, think how easy it was, where we just walk out on a plane, never even worried about your passport or anything, just go on a plane. You don't even have to show it really much of anything. And that, And now I think of of the times that um, where... I want to create something like, for me, here's the the twist. We had Mexican food on Sunday. My friends from Southern California and um, Canada, who probably aren't as as we Californians really love our Mexican food, but they indulge us in our cravings. And so we usually get together, this group of four of us. And um, Maureen and I all fix Mexican food and I make big thing of a guacamole. And, and I'm, of course, all, we're always looking for those special ingredients. And I know when I do cooking classes, people say, where do I get this? Where do I get duck? I've been doing duck confit all last February, this February. So it's like, where do I get this? Where do I get that? And then I, my, I, my point is to challenge you to find France where you are. We actually make our own tortillas now. I never made my own tortillas in America, but I can buy masa and I get it, I get it delivered to my and it's in my freezer. So I make masa, uh, can make uh, corn tortillas whenever I want. And I and I try to encourage my class with my classes I'm doing now to uh, not just use things that are super simple, but to find those things that are local, that are in season, that you can find your own France in that. So you may not use Armagnac for instance, which, you know, is my local hooch really, but you'd find some brandy that's gonna have some, you know, I would use bourbon probably as a substitute for Armagnac and you would use, you would, you would find something that would make it its own thing. And I think so we can reach out to the world, but we can find that world close to home as well. And that'll hold off until we can travel some more.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. So, what do you, what is your impression? You're not here of uh, French cooking, and you also did point out the fact that you know Americans have you know have one vision or one thought when they have think of French cooking. Where you are, it's very different. Same thing, you know, where you are, I'm sure French people think American hamburger and French fries. There's a lot mm-hmm. more. To it. There's way more to it than that. But what is your impression of what's happened with uh, French cuisine in the United States, uh, you know, since farm to table and everybody's become a little more local? I've noticed a lot less French onion soup in restaurants. than there used to be, when I went out, there was always French onion soup. Now- You know,
3: I've never had French onion soup in France. I'm sure it's made some places, but I've never seen it in this part of Southwest France. I've never seen it on a menu. I've been here. I've been here thirty years. Right. I've and never. We're seen not talking it.
0: about I'm, just that it's called French onion soup. Anything? Well, like yeah. The I mean, there
3: is French onion soup. There's a there's a tradition in the and it's but that's that thing I was saying. You know, it's not French. It's really regional. There was there French onion soup was created in like a specific region of France, and you know it. it it's and I think that regional cooking. Um. You know, I've done sort of a one-woman single-handed crusade to use the word gascony to describe the cooking of Southwest France, because Southwest France is very, very broad. So you go all the way up to Cognac, all the way to the Mediterranean to the Atlantic. And there's a whole mishmash of cultures in there. So where I am in this very southwest part, before you get to the Pyrenees and the Basque Country. It was an area, a duchy called Gascony in the you know, 1400s, 1500s, doesn't exist anymore. But there's a Gascon culture and a Gascon food culture. So I think, I don't know, because I actually haven't been in the States now in a couple of years. But I think these little regional, um, this idea of regional cooking, particularly in the South, I see in the Southeast of the United States, is starting to fuel restaurants and i'm not i'm gonna say up front i'm not a like a restaurant groupie i like to go out as much as anybody does but i really i when i talk about food i talk about food that we cook and we make at home because that's 90 percent of it i don't go out maybe once a month if you know unless i have people here well, I think but, you know, whereas books. in America, everybody goes out to eat all the time. And it's like, why would you go out when you can make better food at home? That's my, you know, that's my position. Is like, I can eat better here than I can in most restaurants, even here in France. So I'd just as soon eat here. Uh, I think the trends in the States is this trend of, of finding local produce is going to fuel this local regional cooking.
0: Well, I also think this last year, Um, as much as those of us in Portland were restaurant groupies right this is that's what the whole culture was here and that's how (laughs) you know that's one thing that I certainly enjoyed but in the last year I think people are going to just have a different dimension to their eating lives where aside from picking up food in boxes which is not to, I, I think a better alternative is to learn to do what you do. So you're the antithesis of a restaurant foodie, right? You are the, your whole life now is to teach people how to do wonderful things at home and, and expose them to it. And, um, yeah, and-, I work
3: with, and it's funny. I work with a lot of restaurant chefs. I work with a lot of professionals um, teaching them things that, to give them the grounding and the roots of the cooking here. And it's always interesting to me what, you know, somebody who has a lot of experience and a lot of talent um, and education and cooking, but they still don't know much about the actual ingredients in the food because they've not had access to it. So when you say, and I always use this example, I had a pretty top tier chef come work with me. For a couple of weeks, and um, privately, and the very first day, I was. We were just going to sit down and have lunch and talk. And so, while I was putting some lunch together, he said, "Is there something I could do?" I said, "Oh, yeah. Would you just um, peel those carrots?" And um, we're just going to have some crudité, just some. And so, while he was peeling a carrot, as you do, you kind of take a. He took a bite out of it, and he said, "Wow, what is it with this carrot?" I said, oh, is there something wrong? And he said, no, it just is so amazing tasting. This was somebody who had never tasted a real carrot. He's ordered carrots probably by the ton for restaurants and, but never tasted a carrot that was so fresh, grown in dirt, um, grown long enough to acquire flavor and texture and nutrients so that when you bit into it, there was like an explosion of carrotness, not this orange, fake orange color. And that's what I see over and over again when I work with professionals, with restaurant people is a restaurant can only be as good as their ingredients are. And if their ingredients are coming through on the big conglomerates where everything is cold storage and shipped from who knows where, how can their food be good? How can their food be
0: great? Well, and that's not- what
3: I tried to inspire them when they're here.
0: And it's not only the ingredients themselves, it's the <laughs> chefs being able to appreciate them so that they can apply them and make everything as delicious and wonderful as they, as they want them to be. So um, yeah, it take, there's, a, there's a lot. I would say um, to anyone for the cost of one meal out a month, they could, they could uh, become a member uh, oh, of yours, oh, you. right, one meal a month. and So at the end of a year, how much experience would someone have? They'd be, you know, they'd be at the level, you know, certain people are going to pick things up faster than others, but they'd be they'd be at a pretty high level if they'd been doing it, paying attention to what you've been doing for a year.
3: Also, what's interesting is that I find that some people are very experienced uh, chefs or cooks and Um, and I have chefs that come in as well in my classes, but some people are very experienced and some people are novices. And so can they take the same class? Yes, because you always will work to the level that you are ready for. And when you're a a new or inexperienced or, or maybe just not confident, a lot of people, it's not that they're not experienced, they're just not confident. So if they can ask questions of somebody it's not going to yell at them and say, you know, it's like, no, there's no stupid questions. That's a good point. You know what? You get some confidence or you're the person who has, you've eaten everywhere. You know, everything, you know how to do everything, but oh, you've never seen it done like that before. You will pick up that little trick that I'm doing because that's how I learned. You know, I was a, a moderate, moderately competent cook when I came to France in my mid thirties, what I learned between then and now nuances and levels and levels it's like uh, I I describe it like a pastry a meal foie of of layers of things that I've learned from my basic family upbringing that I had to this level which is not about Michelin star cooking it's about understanding food and I think I understand food as well as anybody and so if you come along for the ride with me you're going to
0: learn something that's for
3: sure and so, you're gonna eat well. You're gonna eat well. So
0: and you're also gonna be able to ask you why are you doing that, correct? Yeah. Is that so yeah. so yeah, that's exactly a little different than watching a video on Instagram? Uh, yeah, I, I try to do a
3: balance between videos because um the problem with the live classes for me, somebody somebody's getting somebody's dinner time, so yeah, you're okay, you'll be all right. Well, what's um, what's 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 the name? Chica. Chica. Ch- Chica, she's a Spanish water dog. So chica, chica, chica. And she's, uh, she's darling. She's about 60 pounds. Uh, so big enough to be at a presence, but she's uh, very, very attentive and very, um, uh,
0: affectionate,
3: so The best possible
0: hesitant. companion. And she's going to be eating soon. We're not going to keep Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Sorry. what I was saying is the live classes, because it's the
3: time difference. And you know I have clients all over the world. My clients and students in Australia haven't been able to do the live classes because it's in the middle of the night for them. So I am going to schedule one next week that's early in the morning for me, which is great because I'm a morning person. Um, the live classes I usually do, uh, at six o'clock like now, my time. And so on the West coast, nine o'clock in the morning, which isn't a very good time for cooking dinner, but on the weekend you might look and, you know, participate and then go shopping and cook later, later that weekend or at noon. And, uh, but the video classes sort of fill that gap where if you, you know, you can watch it at your own time frame when you're on your lunch break or, um, when you're in between doing something, you don't have to adhere to the live classes. And then I do some live question and answers and um, try and just, we also sort of have a nice lively conversations going on in our group community group too, where other people will answer questions people have sometimes before I can get to it. Because again, I'm sleeping in the middle of the night. Somebody said, where did you get that duck? Somebody else will answer them and tell them and, Uh, So it's been it's been great. We have a nice group of people. And I encourage anybody who really wants to um, sort of just keep their energy up, because I think that's the hardest thing right now for all of us. It's so you can get distracted by the negativity. We've certainly had enough of that. And um, I think you you need to be around other people one way or the other that have positive energy. And when you're just talking about great food doesn't get any better than that.
0: Right, and that's and pol- that you remove politics from the situation when you're. Talking. We don't even talk about that. Well, I understand that, but one of the nice things about sitting around the table is yeah. you can do that, and that's what it's all about is is the food. I have one last question that is uh, pretty selfish, um, and uh, I have you may remember me. I'm sure I talked about my dog Oakley.
1: He's now mm-hmm, yes. coming up
0: on seventeen years old. And for the first time in my life um, or his life, he's very finicky with food. I finally found that just there's a few things that work, um, but whatever works one day doesn't necessarily work the next. So it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. I have to go through three three things. But I've generally found that just plain old chicken breasts. What do you feed feed Chica? And uh, is there anything that you might have that might entice him a little more? (laughs)
3: Well, I say Chica is she's uh 2 years old, just uh, uh, over 2 years old. She's still kind of a naughty teenager. Um she steals food. <laughs> so I kind of have to I she I I just before I came down here to talk with you, I see an egg on the sitting on the living room floor on the carpet. <laughs> and I thought where did she get that egg Did I' even ate because she'll take stuff off the counter, so I go and pick it up it's not broken it's not even wet, she hasn't slobbered on it. Then I come into here in this room, and I had gone to the market this morning. my market basket is still in here with a carton, and she had opened the cart had the carton on the floor, opened it up, had taken an egg out, carried it to the other side of the house and not dropped, and not broken it so she will eat anything and <laughs> She got into the foie gras fat from the class the other day and dug into it, it licked a lot of. I have, you know, I have to, pl- I have to lock the doors to my teaching kitchen so she can't get into it. But she eats generally. I feed her. Um, it's a actually locally produced dog food. It's a dry croquette with. Uh, That's made from duck.
0: I duck I just got into the, Portland pet, there's a Portland pet food company and a, that's human grade dog food. I've been feeding him that it works sometimes. And, um, but anyway, I was just curious as if there any, you have the opposite problem I have. And I always have that problem. (laughs) Same thing with my other dog. He'll eat. Well, in general, she'll eat anything I'm eating. If
3: I was eating, you know, except fruit and things like that. But if I'm eating something, she wants what I'm eating.
0: So you've been giving her human food all along. You're she's, I didn't do that with Oakley till about 10.
3: Yeah, I never did it with any of my other dogs, but, like, mm-hmm. she's totally spoiled, and she knows how to wrap me around her finger, so she gets treats. Well, She gets treats, but I kind of watch. You know, we, we adjust it so she doesn't
0: get very tubby. And let's assume that she wanted eggs tonight for dinner, she so wanted, that's why she placed well, it on the it, living room floor for you. And,
3: I, and so I gave her an egg on her food. I, put that, I Late after, I put that one away, then I went and got one
0: again, so... So we're full circle. You do have an intern. You do have your yeah. Your, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she doesn't do the dishes. <laughs> well, that she actually does. If you if you put a down. Oh yeah, yeah do she does. I <laughs> put them on the
3: floor. She it, definitely would do them.
0: I yeah. have often thought, boy, if I could just go with that, it would be great because it's it looks clean. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> On that thought, I really want to thank you for taking your time to do this, because I know you're very busy. I'm really glad we had a chance to catch up again, and I hope we do again, not only this way, but, oh, man, I would love to come back and complete that trip. So, ironically enough, right, this is very ironic. We never got to do our Portland Food Adventures trip to your place because it was with Vitaly and Kimberly Paley, and that had to take a back seat to their opening Headwaters, right? Right, so, right. Years so. ago. And now that I'll, you know, not that I'm going to be like a hawk, but now that Headwaters, I don't know if you know, is closed. Oh, no, so, I didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. unfortunately, they've closed, uh, Vitaly had closed all of their hotel restaurants yeah. lately, So Paley's Place is it. Well, all our restaurants
3: are closed here still. We're, that was, you know, part of the, our lockdown and such is that all restaurants, bars, and cafes are closed. Right. we well, open for some takeout, and it's going to impact everybody.
0: We've gone through, you know, open, closed. No, but I'm saying they're closed permanently. Yeah, yeah. Right? No. And that's okay. very sad. I, I'm very sad about that. But, but um, I
3: think there's something, you know, and I think um, Vitaly probably understands this as well as anybody and. He and Kimberly are both are—they're um, smart people that understand that in order to do what you do and do to such a high standard, you have to—you have to participate. And one person can only be in so many places at once. It's very hard to be that corporate chef and be that cor- overseeing, which takes—it uh, takes a toll on people. And I think that how wonderful to still have a Paley's place to go to.
0: Oh, and I look forward to going there when I come back to Portland, too. I, I look forward to getting in there, too. And, you know, that's another uh, if Vitaly and or Kimberly chooses to come on the podcast and talk about how they feel about that now, we'd love to discuss that. But, yeah, they had been very successful. So it's painful, but uh, I'm sure it was a hard decision. But uh, at any rate. I really appreciate the fact that he introduced us and that me too. As a, me too. as a result of that introduction, the millions of people who are going to watch this podcast and now hopefully turn into members of yours. Great, uh, great. I'm being a well, little I player. look
3: forward and um, yeah, I look forward and let me know you want to sit in on any of the classes and I'd love to have you participate and see what goes on in the kitchen I well, would love to right do that with my
0: girlfriend. She really enjoys that. So maybe the two of us can do that sometime. That'd I be great. That'd be I appreciate great. Appreciate that offer. And I certainly appreciate all the, um, the tour guiding you did and your hospitality. When well, I was
3: it's been fun talking to you, Chris, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Great.
0: Thank you, Kate. Take care. Okay. You too. Au revoir. I was gonna I was getting there, but I uh, you beat me to it and you should. Au revoir.
2: Au revoir. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX, or on Facebook at Right at the Fork, or online at Right at the